0: Abba Father, we praise you and thank you for this day. We ask for your grace and your mercy to be upon us. Open our hearts and our minds to your word. Lord, be on my lips. Speak through me. Minister to your people and change us, Lord. We pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. Now it's it's common knowledge that America is known as the land of the free and the home of the brave, but in England. The law of the land is freedom for walkers. You can chalk it up to soft socialism if you'd like, but in England, you can walk for miles and miles on countless trails across other people's land. It's pretty cool, and, f- and I benefited, f- benefited it from it when I lived in England for a few months. I was able to grab a map, pick a destination, and just walk through people's land, and, and it was great. I was able to enjoy the idyllic countryside of England and go wherever I wanted. But here in America, we might not be able to walk wherever we want. We do, you know, appreciate our private property rights. But we have the most dangerous walk in the world. I'm not kidding. I Googled it. I was like, what's the most dangerous walk in the world? And Google said Angel's Landing in Zion National Park, Utah. Now, this is a picture of this, uh, this hike. And if you look at the bottom, you can see a person walking on that uh, ridge right there. That's a four-foot ridge. And all that you have to keep you safe is a nice chain rail going not on this side, as you might think, but down the middle of the trail so you hold on for dear life. Now, I went there when I was young, and I wasn't able to climb the thing because, well, it was too dangerous. There's a lot of freedom around you when you're hiking on Angel's Landing, but you better walk straight ahead if you want to stay alive. If you veer off to the left or the right, you'll see it's obvious that, uh, well, it's not going to go well for you. Now, Christian freedom that we have in Christ is an amazing gift, but it's more like hiking angels' landing than it is hiking through the English countryside. It's demanding can be difficult and dangerous. Why? Why is it difficult? In, in our passage from Galatians this morning, we, we see two reasons for it being difficult. We see two reasons for our freedom in Christ about being a wonderful thing coming with great responsibility. Now Paul says in verse 1, it's, it's an acclamation, it's a, it's a beautiful statement, for freedom, Christ has set you free. Awesome, I'm free, great. But then Paul warns of two ways we can abuse that freedom. On the one side of the path, in verse 1, he says, stand firm and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. What's that? We'll learn more about that as we come, but we can, we can summarize it by saying uh, the yoke of slavery is trying to save yourself. So that's one side of the Christian's angel's landing. And the other side is in verse 13. Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. You're free, but don't treat it cheaply. That's the other fall you could fall into. So creedom, Christian freedom is amazing and difficult. So how do we enjoy it? How do we enjoy this freedom that Christ gives us? This is what Paul, in summary, says. Paul says that we are freed from sin to serve and love one another in Christ by walking by the Spirit. That's how we enjoy it, walking by the Spirit. And as we can see from these two precipices the this is no stroll in the English countryside it's a journey a pilgrimage fraught with difficulty and frankly difficulty that the Galatian church of Galatia was quite familiar with and something they were skirting with great peril so to understand their struggle and ours and the way to live in Christian freedom we're going to turn to their story in brief Now, the Church of Galatia was planted on Paul's first of three missionary journeys. It's a region of Asia Minor, and he came to this community uh, in great weakness, he says. Now, we're not sure what was going on, but he didn't come showing up all, you know, guns blazing, full of power and great rhetoric. He came, some people, some uh, scholars actually think he had some sort of droopy eye. Like, he kind of looked ugly, honestly. And so either way, he he shows up in great weakness. But God, through the power of the cross, he preaches through him, and he preaches Christ crucified. And the church of Galatia, these people in Galatia were converted, coming out of the kingdom of of evil into the kingdom of God. They were converted and filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to love and serve one another. They were Christians. They were little Christs. Now, after a while, Paul had to continue his journey— of planting churches and and soon after his visit he other visitors came along and began to tell an, more news we might they would call it good news we're gonna call it not so good news and let's call these people the teachers now what did they teach so they taught these Gentile Christians so these Gentile Galatians to be really accepted and fully a part of God's covenant community they had to be circumcised and follow the Old Testament law. To be accepted, they needed to work for it. They needed to put in their two bits, if you will. To be holy, they needed the law. The teachers affirmed, yeah, you got Jesus, he's great, he was a really good teacher. And you got the Holy Spirit, yeah, he's good too. But to really be in, you need the law too. Well, when Paul caught wind of this, he was less than thrilled. If you've ever read the, church, the, the letter of Galatians, you know uh, that uh, some of his most vitriol language uh, comes at these people. Why? Why is he so frustrated with the teachers? Why is it such a big deal that they're telling the Galatians to get circumcised? What the teachers were really saying to the church of Galatia is that Jesus' death and resurrection were not sufficient To save them from sin and bring them into the family of God they said Jesus was helpful but they needed to add their two bits they had to try to save themselves and in doing so they were treating the grace of God cheaply we can see these two precipices as we walk across angels landing friends the Galatians had died and risen with Christ they were filled with the spirit they had everything they needed but now they stood on the edge. And they were given this choice. They were given this opportunity to continue to walk in the Spirit or to listen to these teachers who would lead them into death. Now, we don't really know how this story ends. Paul pleads with them to walk in the Spirit and to ignore these teachers. We don't know what happened to the Church of Galatia. But we find ourselves in this story. Um, whether you're a Christian or not, we're all tempted to either save ourselves or treat the grace of God cheaply. Let's see how these two things map into our lives. Now, obviously, most of us aren't too concerned about getting circumcised or celebrating Jewish festivals or following all the laws of the Old Testament. But do we use our freedom in Christ to try to add to Christ's completed work of salvation? Let me be a little more specific. We might believe that Jesus has saved us up here, But do we live with our hands and in our hearts as if we have to add to that salvation, save ourselves, fix ourselves just a little bit, do it ourselves? Now, friends, if this is a struggle for you, if it's sort of in the water we drink, we shouldn't be surprised because everything in the world, everything in our world costs something, right? Everything. There's nothing free, as they say. I mean, just, just for one brief example, think about citizenship. Now, I don't want to be political. I don't want to get political. But if you aren't born in any country, you have to earn work and prove that you're a citizen. You have to buy, you have to make yourself a citizen. You have to earn it. And friends, this is how all of life is. You don't get anything for free. But the kingdom of God turns this world upside down or right side up. In God's economy, we don't pay for entrance into the kingdom of God because Christ has paid our debt with his infinite life. And friends, this is just not how things normally work. This is not normal. This is something new. Another example, um, back in April, we did an arts and music festival and the Alpha Corps sponsored a dessert table. Now, these desserts were totally and absolutely free. Anna and Lindsay and uh, Barb made some awesome desserts and, and gave of themselves, and we were able to offer these things freely. And you'd think that we were, it, it was so strange, friends. People, we give them the dessert, and they were like, can I have more than one? Can I, can I, can I have two? Where do I pay? Do I, can I pay you? It's like, no, this is free. They were flummoxed by the idea of a truly free gift. Some people felt guilty for taking it without giving anything in return. And friends, this is how we all are when it comes to the free gift of salvation. We want to pay part of our debt, and we can't. But we keep trying. This is where the Church of Galatia found themselves. Because of the teaching of the teachers, they, they they, they were thinking, oh man, I have to add something here. And friends, when we think we can add something to the work of Christ, we've lost sight of the gospel. And the other warning that Paul gives us, the other thing that we, should, we are called to avoid as we walk in the Spirit is using our freedom poorly. For freedom, Christ has set you free. But when we lazily ignore sin or act like it isn't a big deal, we are treating grace cheaply. Now, how many times have you said or have I said or have all of us said, do what I say, not what I do. Do what I say, not what I do. I think that was like the motto, like a motto of my parents when they were growing up. Do what I say, not what I do. Or maybe we say, I'm a sinner, I just can't help it. Or God is gracious, he'll forgive me for fill in the blank. This is what theologian Diedrich Bonhoeffer called cheap grace. And this is what Paul is warning the Church of Galatia against in verse 13. Don't let your freedom become an excuse for sin to grow in your hearts if we think being accepted by God in Christ means we don't have to fight against sin in our hearts, our minds, and our communities through the power of the Holy Spirit, then we've forgotten the gospel. Hopefully you can see that the the solution to avoiding these two precipices are, is the gospel. And how we walk in the Spirit is through the gospel. So, for the rest of this sermon I want to briefly look I want to look at the gospel of freedom it won't be so brief sorry the gospel of freedom and how disciples can walk in the freedom that Christ gives through the Holy Spirit Now in our culture freedom means many things but at least one thing it seems that our culture can agree on is that freedom means freedom from constraints right All right thank you for all the wonderful nods that was very helpful But for Paul Freedom means two things. It means freedom from the dominion of sin and freedom for walking in the spirit. Let's look at these two aspects of freedom. Now Paul opens the letter of the uh, of, to the Galatians with this greeting. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age. Now in scripture, sin is is... is much more than just something we do. It is just, it's more than just breaking the law. It's actually a power, a kingdom, something that influences and infects and brings chaos and death. It's something we need to be delivered from. Christians believe that every human being is born as a citizen of the kingdom of sin. But Jesus came and delivered us from the kingdom of sin. When we believe in Jesus as our Lord and Savior and we are baptized, we are crucified with Christ. We are put to death. That kingdom is killed in us. Our allegiance to the kingdom of sin is transferred to the kingdom of God. And this is done apart from anything that we have done or can do. Paul literally says, you were dead and Jesus saved you. A dead person can't save themselves. Our citizenship in God's kingdom reveals God's infinite generosity that apart from anything that we can do, He saved us and our deepest need. This is the uncomfortable part of being saved from sin. It means that we're sinners. God saved sinners from the dominion of sin. It wasn't for nice, well behaved people that Jesus came. He said to the Pharisees, I came to save sinners, not the righteous. You guys remember Jesus' banquet parables? He took all the poor and homeless and brought them into his banquet, cleaned them up, gave them a robe, and why? Why did he do that? Because the rich and the good people were too busy for him. This parable reveals that only those who cannot save themselves are in the kingdom. That's something we need to ask ourselves. Do we, are we too busy for God? Do we really think that we can save ourselves? Friends, the gospel reveals that we are freed from sin, which means we can't save ourselves. But God saves us. Because he loves us. So that is freedom from the kingdom of sin. what are we freed for? Paul tells us in verse 13 through 14 that we are freed by Christ to love one another in mutual service. In other words, as children of God and citizens of the kingdom, we are given the Spirit of Christ to become like Jesus, to love and serve as he did. Through the Spirit's work, we grow in family resemblance. Friends, the more we walk with Jesus as his disciples, doing what he does the more we begin to resemble him as our older brother. And as we grow in family resemblance, we avoid using grace cheaply. We change, we grow, we don't sit still. Because the gospel of freedom frees us to act, to walk forward across angels' landing as witnesses to Christ's love and the Spirit. So how do we walk Friends, we walk in freedom by the Spirit, and we can see in Scripture that the Spirit gives us two reasons to walk, a guide, and a powerful stride. We're going to look at these things as we conclude. I keep saying we're going to conclude, but this is going to keep going, guys. (laughs) I apparently want to conclude. The reason for walking, the two reasons for walking. Now, friends, why why does anyone really go for a walk? Uh, my mom my parents were in town a couple weeks ago and my mom is training to go on a pilgrimage uh, called the Camino de Santiago in North France and she braved this humid weather at 6 o'clock in the morning and only made it three miles because it's so stinking hot but she's training she has a purpose she has a reason for walking she wants to train and, and do this beautiful walk so why do we walk by the Spirit what's our reason well God's so generous he gives us at least two reasons we have an end goal and a more immediate goal. Now, the end goal is that we are walking to the new heavens and the new earth where we will see our Lord face to face. Christ is our end goal. Seeing him, being with him, being at home is our end goal. And this end goal energizes our immediate goal. To walk As we walk, we grow in Christ, and we share the gospel of the the good news of the kingdom of God with others. We grow in Christ, and we share the gospel. That's the immediate goal. So we have an immediate, we have a long-term goal. We need a guide. How do we navigate this walk without falling into self-rescue or cheap grace? As Paul, uh, as guide, Paul offers us a two ways of life, two pictures, if you will, in verses 19 and 20 through 23, the works of the flesh and the fruits of the Spirit. Now, these works of the flesh, as, as we walk through the, the, the path, through the path of life, we can look at this picture of the f- these fleshly works and, and ask ourselves, are we walking in these works? Friends, look at that list. Idolatry, division, resentment, anger, sexual immorality don't skim over it it's so easy to just sort of see these things and feel maybe shame maybe we feel ashamed of the things we've done maybe we feel guilt because we know we are walking in these things this list is grace it's a mirror to help us see where god is calling us further up and further in to life in him it's a map it shows us how we can where we can grow through the power of the holy spirit and friends Let's just be honest. Like, let's be honest with ourselves. Don't hide these things. Because it's an opportunity for the Holy Spirit to come and heal us. And friends, think about this. In a world full of resentment and anger and unforgiveness and rage and full of the works of the flesh, what would our witness be like if we were just ready to repent? If when we messed up, we asked, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. What would our witness be like if we walked in humility and said, we're sinners and we need God's grace and he's healing us? What a powerful witness. What a counter witness. Then there's this other picture, a picture of an abundant garden full of beautiful and luscious fruit, like the Garden of Eden before the fall. And friends, let's be pretty specific about this garden. These are not just ideal, abstract, awesome things that it would be really cool if we could be like. This is Jesus Christ. This is his life. This is a picture of every virtue and every, every virtue of who, in the way he lived. Jesus fully lived and embodied these fruits. So as we walk in the Spirit, the Spirit works these into us as we seek to purposefully cultivate them cultivate love and joy and peace and patience and all the others because we want to look like Jesus and friends just to clarify this isn't legalism this isn't just another set of do's and don'ts this isn't that this is living into the gift that we are given so how do we cultivate the fruit and put to death the works of the flesh Well, we need a powerful stride. We need to walk. And to make some metaphors real quick, um, and I'm in good company. Paul did it all the time. The fruit grows as we walk. The fruit grows as we walk. Two metaphors. Forgive me. Specifically, our stride is dying and rising in Christ. This is why Paul says in verse 24, those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh. John Calvin defined this walk in the spirit well when he said the sum of the Christian life is denial of ourselves. And friends, there's one reason, there's one reason why this is the Christian life, and it's because it's Jesus's life. This is what he said about his own ministry in Mark 10, 43 through 45. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Friends, Jesus did it, and through the Holy, power of the Holy Spirit, this is our walk. Dying and rising daily is how we cultivate the fruit of the Spirit and put to death the works of the flesh. It is how we love and serve one another and the world. And friends, think, think again about how this would look to the world. This strange and wonderful way of walking could look like what it could look like to others. Walking in the Spirit, actively dying and rising. Walking in humility, denying ourselves, serving one another as a body of Christ and serving the world. Truly living like Jesus. What a witness would this be? We walk with the Spirit. We have the reasons, the guide, and the stride. But friends, we have to actually walk. Now, I could read all the books my mom has read about the Camino. I could do all the research. I could get all the right shoes. I could go get fitted for them. I could research and watch a bunch of YouTube videos on walking. But if I don't actually get there, get out there and put my feet to pavement, I'm not walking. And this is true for the Christian life. It is a faith that must be walked out. Theologian Herman Ritterboss exhorts us at this point. He must walk by the Spirit. That is, he must, in fellowship with Christ, let himself be ruled by the Spirit. The principle of the Spirit does not make human effort unnecessary, but arouses it and equips it to put all its force into the service of the Spirit. Human effort infused by the Spirit is absolutely necessary for walking in the Spirit. How many of us have prayed, God, please take this sin away from me? This vice, this anger, this lust, whatever it might be. And we secretly just expected him to poof it away, and we continued doing what we were always doing. Nothing changed. But we just expected God to just take it away. God, please. Friends, that is like asking the Spirit to make you walk, and this is just not how it works. It's just not. Spirit empowers us and equips us to walk. But we have to put one foot in front of the other. Think about it this way. So I've been fishing once since I lived in Destin. I'm by no means a fisherman. Went fishing with Jason Self. He's a great, great uh, charter captain. Now imagine if Jason came to me, if Captain Jason came to me and said, Ethan, I want to give you the best ship down the docks with all the best equipment and a full-time captain who will show you how to be the best charter fisherman you can be. And we can all agree that would be a pretty epic gift, right? All right. Now, it would be absolutely useless if I didn't actually go down to the docks and learn how to fish. I if I didn't get out there and clock the hours that captain submit myself to his teaching, I, I couldn't really be a fisherman. I'd be more like Bob from What About Bob. You guys remember this movie? He attached himself to the sail of a sailing vessel, and he said, I'm a sailor! I'm a sailor. Come on, guys. He wasn't a sailor. He was strapped to the fishing vessel. This is a sailing vessel. Come on. If we aren't walking with the Spirit, we, can we really call ourselves living Christians? Are we going to be Bob? We need to repent and surrender our laziness and our passivity in the Christian life. We need to enter into the holy effort of putting to death our sin and rising to new life in Christ. We need to walk in the Spirit. One step at a time. So friends, are we walking in the Spirit? Are we enjoying true freedom in Christ? Let us walk. Let us walk in the Spirit and deny ourselves and take up our cross and love one another in self-giving service. And friends, in our dying and rising, in this particularly wonderfully strange witness of Christ, let us spread the message of the kingdom as we journey together safely across angels' landing to the everlasting kingdom of God, the new heavens, and the new earth. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your gospel. Thank you for the freedom that we have in you. We pray that you would fill us with your spirit and lead us to walk. Help us to put one step in front of the other. Lord, put to death in us our sin and help us to actively participate in that dying. And Lord, raise us up to new life in you. And Lord, help us to build one another up in, as the body of Christ, Lord. Let us love and serve one another as you have loved and served us. We pray this all in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen.